Zigzag in One, a place where we honestly discuss how to navigate the zigs and zags in our crazy lives. Expect heartwarming stories, some laughter, and maybe a few tears as we embrace life's challenges and choose joy over a momentary defeat. Today, we will hear from someone whose life has had some unexpected turns, but chose to keep moving forward. What did they learn? Some valuable life lessons. Zigs and Zags are also a part of our host, Melanie Brown's journey. She too had to find the determination to never give up. What are we waiting for? Let's dive in. much for joining me today on the Zigzag in One podcast. I'm your host, Melanie Brown. For this last episode of season three, I am excited to share my interview with Jill Savage. During her 38 years of ministry, Jill has written 14 books, speaks across the nation and around the world, is the host of the No More Perfect podcast, and is a marriage and ministry coach. Guys, with this much content, Jill and I could have discussed many, many topics, but today we are discussing her book, Your Next Steps, What to Do When Your Spouse is Unfaithful, which is packed full of wisdom that she gained after her husband's unfaithfulness, as well as the steps they took to rebuild a stronger and healthier marriage. She and Mark have been married for 38 years. They have five kids and eight grandkids. This peanut butter loving former bassoon player lives in a 109 year old farmhouse in Illinois. If your marriage is struggling because of your spouse's unfaithfulness, I am so thankful you are listening today as Jill's words will definitely encourage you to fight for your marriage. And even if you believe you and your spouse could be given the best marriage ever award, Please listen to my interview with Jill as she shares wisdom that will strengthen your marriage and draw you closer to God and your spouse. Please join me for my interview with Jill Savage. Welcome to the show, Jill. I've been looking forward to spending time with you today. Oh, thank you so much. I have so much I want to tell you, but first things first, I want to start with the fact that I learned about you and your ministry early into the pandemic when I watched the Revive and Thrive Women's Conference. I love that. And then I started following you on Facebook. I love that. What I have learned since then, because I've looked at your different posts on social media and I've gone to your website numerous times. Your ministry is not only deep, as you've been doing this for 38 years, that's <laughs> rock star, but it's wide. And by that, I mean that you share information and resources on marriage and raising young kids and raising teens, which we know those are two different beasts. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, I led a ministry to moms for um, actually 24 years, and it was called Hearts at Home. And honestly, that's where the breadth really began in my ministry. You know, parenting, marriage, finances, just dealing with all of those different things that are a part of life. 
Absolutely. And some of the other things that you just mentioned is motherhood and having a strong financial habits, how to have a full life after your kids leave home. I'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to that one uh, because it happened and then it didn't. And then (laughs) rebuilding your marriage after your spouse is unfaithful. Mm-hmm. That's just a very quick snapshot of all the different types of areas that you cover in your information and your resources and your books. I mean, girl, you are rocking it. <laughs> well, here's the deal I write, I speak out of my mistakes. So all that means is I've made a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, but. The great thing is, is all of us make mistakes and you are sharing the wisdom and the things that you've learned from those mistakes. And I appreciate that because I don't want to make mistakes. And if I can learn from you and not make a mistake, that's, that's a win for me. And that's a win for me. Yes. There are so many topics that we could cover today, but I want to focus on the zigzags that you faced in your marriage and how you and Mark rebuilt your marriage after his unfaithfulness. Yeah. Give us a quick synopsis of the two of you and how you met, and then the zigzag didn't happen until year 27. So tell us about that time too, and then what led to his unfaithfulness in the 27th year? Yeah. Well, my husband was a pastor, And he had been pastoring for 20 years. He had been uh, a pastor on a mega church staff for 10 years. And then we had church planted for 10 years. And church planting about killed us, to be really, really honest. Um, It was difficult emotionally. It was difficult physically. And I had a ministry that was growing. Uh, It was a parachurch ministry, Hearts at Home, that was growing at the same time that the church was growing. And it was just pulling us apart in many, many ways. And uh, my husband got to the place where he felt like uh, he'd kind of been beat up by ministry and it was time for a break. So he uh, resigned and decided that he would return to his love of construction work. And uh, when he did that, He underestimated how much his identity was in pastoring. Uh, He really thought, he really thought, no, my identity is in Christ. That's what he thought. But the truth is, when the church was gone and he was now forging this new way, he began to feel very, very lost. And, um, He was struggling emotionally. He was struggling uh, personally. He was struggling relationally. Uh, He was, it just seemed like unhappiness permeated his life. And now we look back on it and we know he was in a full-on midlife crisis. And in the midst of that, um, he he, uh, was unfaithful and uh, eventually left, left the kids and I. Uh, at that time, I had two teenagers still at home, three young adults that were out on their own. Um, all of us were absolutely uh, beyond uh, what I can even express uh, brokenhearted. And sure. um, we knew this was not 
I mean, you know, the kids were like, this is not our dad. This is not what, what we know our dad, who we know our dad to be. Um, and I felt the same way. Um, and so, you know, I prayed, I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and I just felt like God consistently said only one thing, I want you to love him. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, there was many times, Melanie, that I was like, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Lord, but I don't know if you've noticed he's not real lovable right now. For real. Were you aware of how unhappy he was in all those different areas of his life at that time? No, I knew that he was struggling. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt. I knew he was struggling. Uh, he was complaining all the time. He was, he would complain about us. He would just say things like, we're just too different. We're just too different. Uh -huh. And, um, or he would say marriage just shouldn't be this hard or God doesn't answer my prayers. Uh, so he would make these statements and, and so, um, looking back, if I had to do it all over again, okay, um, I now realize that I minimized his, my responses to him minimized him. And so he would say, we're just too different. And I would say, well, welcome to real life. Oh. Welcome to real marriage. Mi you know, marriage is two very different people blending their lives together. And he would say, marriage shouldn't be this hard. And I would say, well, welcome to, you know, the reality of marriage. It is hard. It's hard work. Um, he would say, God doesn't answer my prayers. And I would say, Mark, I'm sure God is answering your prayers, but maybe not in the way that you are expecting him to, or that you are wanting him to. So all of those, so I was giving him trite answers and I wasn't listening to the heart of what was going on. And so I was kind of, my answers and my responses were dismissive to the depth of his pain. And now I can see that. Then I couldn't. And so, um, you know, eventually he just was disillusioned. He was disillusioned with life, with marriage, with God. And he didn't really walk away from God, but he pretty much, like he was still reading his Bible and he was still talking to the Lord, but he was in a dark night of his soul. And, and really struggling and pretty much got to the place where he went, you know what, Lord, I've been talking to you about this stuff for a long time. I'm doing it my way. I'm not doing it your way anymore. And, and that's how he will, he describes it when he even talks about it as well. Well, and that's bringing up one of the steps in the book that I want us to discuss that you've written, but the, we're going to get there eventually because now all the things are clicking in my head about the specific steps that you mentioned in your book and that would that being one of them that there was a role that you played in that not to say it was your fault but there was a, a role that you played in that so well and what i say is i did not cause my husband to have an affair but i contributed to the dysfunction in our marriage whoa and that's that's what I think is super important for anyone who's walking through a tough season, you know, for you to be able to say, I didn't cause my spouse to have to make this decision or to do this behavior. However, 
I do have to own how I have brought dysfunction to the relationship because that's the only thing I can own. Yes. And I want, I want you to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Um, I wanted to talk to you about your book and I ordered it and I made some notes because this book, Your Next Steps, What to Do When Your Spouse is Unfaithful, is not necessarily a rehashing of your husband's unfaithfulness. It's more about what to do once that has happened, where we yep. know, and I, I should have looked up the numbers on that, but the numbers of marriages that end as a result of unfaithfulness. I'll add that in the show notes. Yeah. How about that? But you share in yeah, the book. Yeah, that would be interesting to know. Yeah, I, I think it would be. You share 10 steps to help a woman or a man who is reeling after discovering his or her spouse has been unfaithful. And I am going to put those 10 steps in the show notes. So if you haven't gotten the book yet, you have a good idea of what Jill is covering in the book and you'll see how valuable the information is if that's something that you are dealing with right now. But let's chat about a few of them. The first step that you suggest is to dig deep spiritually and connect with Jesus. Why mm -hmm. is this so critical, but oh, so hard when you're in those shoes? <laughs> well, um, so it's critical because you, it's like your life is a hurricane. Okay. And, and you are being tossed around by the waves of emotion, by the waves of discovery, um, by the waves of deception. And so you're being tossed about and it just feels like your world has been turned upside down. And the only thing that's going to hold you steady in some way, shape or form is for you to drop an anchor in God's word. And so God's word is that anchor. It is what is going to hold you steady. Yes. And that's why that is so very important. In fact, one of the things I did while my husband was gone, when he left and, and moved into an apartment, um, I took my Bible to bed with me every night. And I, uh, I'll tell you, uh, and I talk in, in, your next steps. I talk about the impact that Romans 12, 9 through 21 played in my life um, because it really became my marching orders. And I would read Romans 12, 9 through 21 every night before I go to sleep. I'd lay my Bible on my husband's pillow. And then uh, in the morning when I'd wake up, that's the first thing I saw. And I'd grab my Bible again. And honestly, I mean, I'm not saying that I didn't feel tossed about at times. I did. I mean, there was a lot of tears shed. I was, you know, in a lot of emotional pain. But I will say that um, God's word is what grounded me in the midst of the toughest season of my life. And that goes along with the chapter that talks about seeking God's peace. And you share your chaotic circumstances were creating a chaotic soul. So how did seeking God's peace help quiet that chaos? Yeah. You know, um, well, his word talks about a peace that passes understanding. Okay. It makes, which that means it's a peace that makes no sense that you can experience a peace even in the midst of 
something that is not peace-filled, right? I've I've experienced that myself. And I will tell you, it is life-changing. And once you've felt it, you can't go back to inviting that much chaos into your life. Now, the chaos that was in my life at that point was something out of my control. It was a health issue. But that peace that passes understanding is powerful. It is. It is. And, you know, I had a, I mean, you have to learn how to quiet your soul. You really do. And I I had a counselor at the time and the counselor uh, really challenged me uh, in the, this was at, at, you know, right after Mark left, I was a wreck. And um, he said, I want you to go home and I want you to just sit in a chair and I want you to breathe God in and, and exhale the stress. And I want you to breathe God in and exhale the stress. Just focus on your breath and, and focus on his peace. And I'll tell you what, that was hard for me because I'm a get it done girl. I'm like, what is this going to, you know, I'm like, what is this? This is not going to help me. And, um, but I, I trusted him. Uh, I, I thought, you know what, I have to give this a try. And I'll tell you what, the first day I did it, he, he had told me that he wanted me to sit. I can't remember exactly how long, maybe around 15 minutes. And I thought you are kidding me. And the first day I made it like five. Okay. Like I was squirming. It was awful. Um, but I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. So the second day I made it a little further and I believe it was on the third day. I actually fell asleep sitting in the chair. Now you have to know that that's a big deal for me because I don't fall asleep on airplanes if I've not even had sleep for 24 hours. Like I have to be laying down in a bed in a dark room to sleep. And the fact that I could sit in a, in a, in a, in a rocking chair recliner in my living room and fall asleep because I was accessing the peace of God in the midst of some, a terrible season of life I think speaks volumes. I would agree. That was huge. I would agree. And I have, over the course of my life, especially in the last probably 10 years, I crave that solitude and that silence with God. Mm -hmm. It is indescribable about what that does to your mind, your body, your soul, your emotions. And so... I love that chapter about finding God's peace because you were in the midst of major chaos. And I think the, the way that you were able to process everything that was going on and work through it was because of seeking Jesus and seeking his word and seeking his peace. Yes. The next thing you talked about was praying for your spouse's relationship with God as he or she is in the midst of spiritual warfare. And when you're hurt from betrayal, this must be especially hard. I want you to talk about, if you will, the warfare that you are throwing back at Satan when you do that. Well, you know, when, when marriage gets hard, we often see the enemy as our spouse. Yes, ma'am. And when, when we do that, it's the wrong, we suddenly are fighting the wrong enemy. Enemy is the enemy of our soul. It's the enemy. It's Satan who, I mean, the Bible says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's at work here. 
That's the battle we need to be fighting. That's why we need to battle this on our knees. And we need to see our spouse as broken, hurting, confused, lost, wandering. When we can experience that and when our soul understands that, A, it becomes less about us. That's huge because now our spouse might say, hey, it's all about you. But the truth is when we can see them through eyes of compassion, we begin to realize, yeah, I need to look at what I contribute here, but this isn't really 100% about me. So I think that's the, the first benefit of that. The second is then we know what to pray for and we can pray so much more effectively because we can see where they're being blinded, where they're confused, where they're lost, where they're struggling. And then we begin to pray to the heart of that. When I read that chapter, I thought that that was amazing in thinking beyond the hurt. And then I stopped, like I said, about thinking through the idea of this being spiritual warfare that your spouse is, is going through, but praying for his relationship with God is the only way to help your spouse get through that too. And that just, it was, it was powerful and as they say, powerful and effective. That's a game changer almost in a sense to me because you're so hurt. You don't think about praying for your spouse and his relationship or her relationship with God. Yeah. I, I think it is so important that we are, recognizing where the real battle is and when, because then it just makes us much more effective at, um, it makes us more effective at conversations. It makes us more effective at, at prayer and, um, and, and tackling really the root of the issue instead of the symptoms of the issue. And so when we get caught up in the symptoms, we're missing being able to tackle the root. And that leads into what you started to talk about earlier uh, in our conversation. And that's the seventh step is understanding that this behavior isn't about you. And you wrote, I saw him as confused, lost, struggling, disillusioned, trying to fill the God-shaped hole in his heart with everything but God. And then you went on to say, seeing him that way led you to understand that the pain he caused you was really an outpouring of the pain in his own heart. That increased your compassion, causing you to pray intensely for him and helping you to see him the way God sees him. So how did understanding those truths change the way that you saw Mark and then felt about Mark. Yeah. And I think the felt part is huge um, because, uh, you know, he was being, he was verbally saying I was the problem. Mm. Okay. Again, I was bringing dysfunction to the relationship just like he was. We both were bringing dysfunction to the relationship. So I had to look at what I was bringing, but I also knew that in general, those accusations were a scapegoat for what was really going on inside of him. And Mm -hmm. 
And, and so it did change how I felt about him because what it did is it increased the compassion that I had for his lostness. And so when you can have compassion for someone, it's really hard for compassion and anger to sit in the same place. Okay. And, and don't hear me wrong. I mean, there, there were plenty moments of anger, right? There were, I mean, there was, I was really angry that he left me to be a single parent. I was really angry that he left me to manage a household and a yard that, you know, was way too big for me to mow. Um, I, I was angry about those things. There's no doubt. But when I looked at why we were in this situation, <clears throat> the compassion I had because I was able to see it through, honestly, I felt like, and this was one of my biggest prayers, and this is a prayer that I encourage women to, to pray in that, I, I say women, men or women who have a spouse that is, has left or has been unfaithful or is disconnected, is, Lord, help me see them with your eyes. Yes, I, I wrote that down. Yes. That was powerful. Help me see them with your eyes because when we can see, because that's what helped me to be able to see him as broken, disillusioned, confused. And I knew that's how God saw him too. You know, that God saw him through eyes of love and grace and forgiveness. And so I needed to see him with eyes of love and grace and forgiveness. And that didn't uh, you know, you have to understand, uh, you know, forgiveness doesn't mean that I trusted him again. Uh, that's a different ball game, but I was able to see him through God's eyes. And when I did, um, it just made me more effective in interacting with him, praying for him and ultimately making the needed changes in my heart and in my habits and my relating patterns that I needed to, uh, because I, I owned those, I, you know, I had to have, uh, enough humility to dig in there and go, Hey, what am I? And because honestly, at that point, I didn't know if my marriage would make it or not. I mean, let's be honest. I didn't know that. So I felt like I had, my marching orders were to do what God told me to do, which was love him. And um, to address the things in my own life, to respond to God's conviction on my own heart. And if that helped, you know, for our relationship to be restored, I was going to be grateful. But if those simply helped me to become more like Jesus, even if my marriage didn't make it, I was going to be grateful for that too. And that is part of, I believe it's step number eight, own what's yours. And I would love for you to talk about, and you don't have to go into significant detail, but any of the things that you did that for you and your changes mm -hmm. that significantly impact your marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I had to come to realize that um, I did have a very critical spirit. Um, my own perfectionism which makes me highly critical of myself, also makes me highly critical of others. And, um, you know, 27 years of that um, what wore down on my husband's heart. And um, when he would 
mention it or address it, which wasn't very often, I would minimize it away. Or um, I would tell him he didn't have thick enough skin or he couldn't handle the truth or whatever response I gave, which was not God honoring and it was not sensitive. And so I had to own my critical judgmental spirit. And um, I had to recognize what that did. Um, it emasculated my husband at times. Uh, and so bottom line, I learned that my strength, that God did make me a strong woman, but I was misusing my strength in my marriage. And very interesting. Yep, that was huge. And so I really had to dig into how can I use my strength in a positive way in my marriage? How can I flip that in a way that helps me to be able to um, not, I, I, you know, not minimize who I am, uh, but be responsible with that strength in a way that lifts up rather than tears down? That's great advice. I read on your website that it took about two years for you to reconcile and get back on track. Now we are at year 38 in your marriage. Congratulations. Thank you. That's significant and worthy to acknowledge. So tell me about your relationship in the years since you reconciled. Ah, uh, yeah. It is the marriage we both wished we'd always had. It really is. Um, one of the things that we say in our No More Perfect Marriages book, which is another book we've written on marriage, when I'm a better me, we're a better we. Like it. And both, both Mark and I are better me's, and therefore we're a better we. Uh, we also describe before our crisis as Mark and Jill 1.0, and after our crisis, Mark and Jill 2.0. But the only way that you can have a, a 2.0 relationship is when you have 2.0 individuals. And so I am much less critical. Uh, I am more grace-filled. I am careful with my words. Uh, I communicate in a far gentler way. Uh, I ask questions before I, you know, rather than leverage statements or indictments. Um, for my husband, uh, he was always extremely passive. He has found his voice. Um, he um, doesn't let things slide. He uh, deals with them right away and communicates them uh, right away in a kind, honoring way. Not that we don't have moments where we slide back into 1.0, but we know how to get out of it. We are much more a team much more sensitive to each other's needs, much more sensitive to each other's uh, temperaments and personalities. And honestly, we're just a whole lot more like Jesus. And we still got growth to do in that, but that has made such a huge difference. I love hearing that. You've grown individually, but you've grown together. And that's what marriage is about. Yes. Yes. I think that's beautiful. If this message is resonating with a listener... Briefly describe the resources that you have on your website, jillsavage.org, 
that she could access today. Now, we could spend probably another 30 minutes talking about all the resources, but the ones that apply specifically to marriage would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So uh, if your marriage is in a good place, but maybe feeling a little stale, uh, one of the best places uh, to start is we have our No More Perfect Marriages seminar. And we bring, we bring that to churches literally all over the world. We actually had the opportunity to do it uh, in Europe uh, a couple of years ago, but we have done it all over the U.S. But last year when the pandemic started, we actually created what we call our home edition. So it's a video course. Um, so you can do our No More Perfect Marriages home edition. Um, and that can be for a hurting marriage or a healthy marriage, either one. Um, if your marriage is not in a good place because of infidelity, um, definitely my book, Your Next Steps, which is what we've been talking through, um, is uh, what we would recommend. If you are both willing to do the work to get your marriage back on track, then we have a course called Rebuilding Trust. And um, Rebuilding Trust is um, a... Uh, a course that my husband and I created together. It's a video course. You do it, you watch it together as a couple. And then at the end of each video, there are conversations to have as a couple. So we're teaching you how to talk in a healthy way. And we're helping you to have the conversations you need to get better. And then if you are in a difficult season of marriage and your spouse is unwilling to do anything about it, then we have a course called The Weight Is Not Wasted. And the weight is not wasted, uh, really came out of my one year of waiting for Mark. Um, because it, you know, it was during that year, it was a dark year and, um, he was not willing, or sometimes he would say he was, but then he would go back to the other relationship. He actually ping ponged back and forth seven times before he made his final surrender to the Lord and recommitment to the marriage. And so if you're in a season where you are waiting for your spouse to re-engage, you are hoping for them to re-engage. Maybe you're even separated, but you are still believing the marriage can get better than, uh, what you need is our, um, our course, the weight is not wasted. Thank you for sharing all of that. Those are, I'm just impressed with your willingness and Mark's willingness to be so vulnerable and raw in sharing all of this information because I haven't dealt with this, thankfully, but I do know others that have, and they are desperate for information about how to get through it, how to reconcile, how to rebuild, all of the things that you're talking about. And so I thank you, you and Mark, for continuing to do this and continuing to be passionate about marriage and what God's plan is for marriage uh, and to have a healthy marriage. Yeah, well, it is. It's it's really become our life's work. And I guess I should have said also our No More Perfect Marriages book. I mean, that's good for healthy marriages or marriages that are struggling. Um, but um, it, it really has. It's become our life's work. It's one way that God has redeemed the broken places in our life. <clears throat> and I like to say that God is not only a redeemer, he's a redreamer. And we've definitely seen that. I like that. 
Before we wrap up, if you would please share your one takeaway that you want the listeners to remember about what you shared today. Well, I would say um, probably the biggest one is own what's yours. Um, I think it's easy when marriage gets hard to point the finger. And um, the enemy, that's where the enemy will bait you. The enemy will whisper in your ears, you know, just um, take, you know, look at, look at what he just did. Look at what she just did. And so it becomes easy to point the finger. And so um, to recognize that when you're pointing the finger at someone else, there are three other fingers pointing back at you. And that's what you actually need to look at is probably, um, I think, one of the most impactful things. pieces that you can do. And when I, my my husband will tell you when I called him at 2 AM because I was reading a book that convicted me that I had emasculated him. We were separated at the time and I call him at 2 AM. And of course he like answers the phone thinking there must be something wrong with our teenagers, you know? And I, I own it. I, I mean, I'm in tears and I'm like, I am so sorry. And he will tell you, he didn't believe it at that moment, but as I continued owning my own stuff, he noticed and it did impact him. So I do believe that owning your own stuff in, uh, whether your marriage is in a good place or it's in a hard place is probably one of the most important things that you can do. I have to tell you out of all of the steps, the 10 steps that you share in that book, that one got to me the most because I think no matter what relationship you have, if there's problems in it and you think the other person is not doing X, Y, or Z to your liking, there is a responsibility that you have. It's not always them. Yes. And I think that was a a great takeaway. Your book, the one that I've read, I highly recommend it. I, I am thankful to have it as a resource. If I come across a friend or a family member that's going through this, this will be the first book that I recommend to them. I'm so glad. That's a big compliment. I mean, it really is. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to to reading the other one about having an empty nest once January (laughs) comes around. Yep. Um, I'm so excited about our son getting married, but I'm ready for that empty nest. (laughs) Yeah. It's so fun. We love it. I really have. I've loved having him here. Yep. But it's time. Yep. Well, Bertie, go on. Fly away. <laughs> well, Jill, thank you so much for today. It has been such a pleasure to spend time with you and to hear more about the struggles that you've been through, not because I want to focus on those, but what you've learned from all of that has just been so helpful. So thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. so much for joining me for today's interview with Jill Savage. Wow, she shared so much valuable wisdom that could strengthen every marriage. Make sure you check out the show notes for the 10 steps that she covers in her book. You can learn more about all of Jill's ministries at jillsavage.org. If you know someone whose marriage is struggling because of unfaithfulness, would you please share this episode with him or her? 
go a step further and gift him or her a copy of Jill's book. Before we end today, I want to give a big shout out of thanks to all the incredible guests who joined me for season three of the Zigzag and One podcast. Friend, if you love the content I share on this podcast, would you take a moment and rate it and share it? Your support means the world to me. Join me again in January for season four. Until then, you know what to do. When life zigs and zags, keep moving forward.